Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Der Ausblick, where today we take a look at Bayern's match at the weekend against Borussia Dortmund, Der Klassiker. It has finally arrived for the Bundesliga season, and to talk about it, I'm joined by both Chuck Smith and Tom Adams. Guys, how are we feeling on this very, very long night? Jake, I, I am doing great. Bayern Munich is scoring a lot. Timo Werner is scoring a lot. Chuck is sc- Ah, never mind. Anyway, Jake, I am doing great. I'm doing great as well. It's good to be back on with you guys after we've had some conflicting schedules. You know, not thinking about anything going on in the U.S., just all Bayern, because that's all that matters right now. Uh, Big match on Saturday, Derek Klassiger, round two for the season. It's a big one. I envy you, Tom. I envy you. I have been up until 4 o'clock in the morning... Every night since Tuesday, I am exhausted. I am so tired. And the only thing I want to focus on right now is Borussia Dortmund at the weekend. But I can't. If you can't tell at home that I am tired, uh, trust me, my, my eyes are blacker than Armenia Bielefeld's home kit. Blacker than the Hanover 96 away kit that Tom is wearing right now. I am so exhausted. But nevertheless, I'm going to try to soldier on for this one. I, I even at one point I was telling these guys like I didn't know if I could be able to do this podcast because of how tired I was about how emotionally invested I am into this. Uh, one of the bigger projects that I do outside of this is election forecasting outside of uh, writing for the blog and creating this podcast. I do a lot of that mostly in down ballot races. So I'm exhausted. I've been watching returns for three days in a row and I don't think I've ever cared to know about what's going on in Maricopa County or in the city of Philadelphia more than I am right now because that hurts. So that really tired. hurts Jake. Well, Chuck, you know nothing important ever goes on in Philadelphia anyways. Why would anybody ever want to care about what's going on in Philadelphia? Uh, the last time I ever really cared about Philadelphia was when the 76ers got knocked out of the NBA playoffs when the Celtics beat them. So that was really the last time that I ever cared about them. You'd have to be more specific, really, when you're talking about <laughs> the Celtics knocking out the Sixers. I think we've got a long history of that happening. Yeah, Chuck, I just want to know the secret about the cream cheese and the cheesesteaks. That's what's most important about Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, cheesesteaks are something you have to experience. The cream cheese, however, I don't even believe was made here. I think that's all a fallacy in just the name. So I think uh, if you stick to the cheesesteaks, Tom, if you ever venture down this way, I can give you a couple of good spots to hit. Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be for all of us to do after uh, COVID, after quarantine, part two, electric boogaloo. That's about to come around the corner. But anyways, we will start off this podcast by talking about the Dortmund run of form recently. We will move into their squad. We will talk about Bayern's issues, and then we will predict lineups for both teams, and then final scores. So let's start off with the team's run of form. Bayern. Five wins in their last five games. Some pretty close wins, but some pretty big wins as well. 
4-0 over Atletico Madrid, 5-0 over Eintracht Frankfurt, a 2-1 win over Lokomotiv Moscow, a 2-1 win over Köln, and then a 6-2 win over Salzburg. So guys, four wins out of five, as I just mentioned, for Borussia Dortmund. Is there anything that you've seen in their games that might uh, raise some concern for fans of Dortmund, which is weird to say because they're tied on points with Bayern at the top of the table in the Bundesliga? I mean, I think when you look at Dortmund and you look at their roster, I mean, there's a lot of talent on, on the roster. I personally think there is enough talent to compete with Bayern Munich at the top of the table. Unfortunately for Dortmund, their coach, their manager, Lucien Favre, is not so good. Uh, I don't think he's quite grasped how to use the talent that, that he has. And I think that's had a direct effect on how they've performed. And, and like, Jake, you talked about the Lazio result. That was that was disappointing. That should never happen, in my estimation. On the other hand, though, Dortmund does have Erling Haaland, and he is by far, in my opinion, the best young striker in the world. I think he is an extreme talent. I think he is the next generation Robert Lewandowski. I think if there is a player that you should keep an eye on over the next 10 to 12 years, it's got to be Haaland, and I think he'll be trouble for Bayern in this match. No disagreements with Chuck there. I mean, the talent in the squad is 100% there. Uh, and I think if there wasn't, then the Bundesliga table would be saying something a bit different right now. But, you know, you kind of have to take everything for what it is. And, you know, after that disappointing loss in the Champions League to Lazio, uh, the four wins on the bounce, you kind of have to look at who they were playing uh, in Schalke, Zenit St. Petersburg in the Champions League, Armenia Bielefeld, uh, and then most recently this week, Club Bruges. I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting to look at is uh, contextually looking at those opponents uh, and the style that Dortmund and, and Lucien Favre would have implemented for either of those four games. And in my mind, I kind of use the, the Bielefeld match as the example, uh, just because looking at that lineup, Bielefeld came out with, with five defenders. You know, they made it very obvious how they wanted to play. And, you know, while it was kind of a labored victory uh, for Dortmund, you know, I thought this was a game where they really showed that they can control the match, they can create the chances, and they can convert the chances, even against those deep, deep blocks uh, that are very, very tight and congested and that make it difficult. And, you know, it wound up being a, a Mats Hummels brace that wound up, you know, breaking the deadlock and having them come away 2 0 winners. And I just kind of contrast that to how they normally play uh, against Bayern. You know, we rewind a couple months to the DFL Super Cup. Mind you, uh, this probably isn't going to be the, the Dortmund team that we see on Saturday, but you know Favre does have that tendency to sometimes go to the back three when he wants to play more direct. Uh, Akanji, Mats Hummels, Emre Chan, who I'm not sure if he's going to be involved due to his coronavirus test uh, two weeks ago that was positive, uh, so we'll have to see about that. But you know I, I think going more the direct route against a team like Bayern uh, does have its advantages, as we saw in the the DFL Super Cup, and I thought guys like Julian Brandt, Marco Royce were really excellent in their their link up play and, and turning defense from attack. And uh, someone like Jude Bellingham, I've really really been impressed with over the past couple of weeks, especially in that Bielefeld game. You know, always demanding the ball, always wanted to get in possession and start to distribute and you know start the play from the back. So it'll be really interesting for me to see uh, if Favre wants to go with four at the back and be a bit more protective, or go with three at the back again based on who's available and uh you know 
play really direct and cause Bayern to open up. One of the things that you will not find um, in terms of the last five fixtures of either of these teams, specifically in the last five games that they have played each other, is that Dortmund has not had a competitive win against Bayern since 2018. And I say competitive win because the last time they won was the 2019 DFL Super Cup, and that's a preseason tournament. It's not entirely that competitive, but you have to go back to November of 2018 to find the last time that Dortmund beat Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga or in the DFB Pokal or anything like that. So let's go ahead and look at this team. A couple of names that you have already mentioned. Erling Haaland, Giovanni Reina, um, sorry, uh, Julian Brandt, as Tom had mentioned. Uh, one name that we have not mentioned, and I think it's important that we highlight this, is Jadon Sancho. He has not had a good start to his season so far. Five games played, no substitute appearances. Zero goals two assists, 11 shots on goal. For a team with a plus 11 goal difference, you would imagine that Jadon Sancho is is chipping in a lot of that, and he's not. And that's a little concerning, at least from my perspective, if I'm a Dortmund fan. I look at this and I don't understand why he's not getting as much time as he needs to uh, work up. Now, granted, there is a new talisman on the field that they have for an entire year in Erling Haaland. But guys, does this scream like a major problem to you? Uh, We'll start with Tom and Tom, try to keep it short, please. Well, on the surface, yes. I know that uh, in the beginning of the season, Sancho was uh, experience, experiencing ugh, tongue twister, experiencing what was not coronavirus, but some sort of uh, respiratory infection that took him a couple weeks uh, to shake off where the symptoms were pretty mild to the point where it was affecting his breathing. Uh, and also that weird sort of nebulous he'd been in uh, with the links to Manchester United in the Premier League during the transfer window. But um, as you had mentioned, especially from a fantasy perspective, I would have expected more production from Sancho at, at this point, especially with all the hype surrounding him after his past two seasons uh, with Dortmund. But uh, from Favre's point of view, as you mentioned, there are other weapons. And you know, if your star man isn't going to be the one producing what you need him to produce, then there's absolutely no problem looking elsewhere. Um, I still think Sancho will come to fruition this season personally. Uh, once he builds up uh, a couple of positive performances. But when you have Erling Holland in the ranks, Julian Brandt, Marco Royce, someone like Gio Reyna, who obviously, uh, as an American, I'm very, very excited to see him do well. I hope he doesn't this Saturday, just as a Bayern fan's perspective. But, you know, what I like about him is his ability to make an impact, whether he gets 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whether he starts, uh, or whether he only gets 10 minutes. But you know, he's just always able to come on and make an impact and, and cause anybody problems regardless of who the opponent is. So that'll be something to be wary of uh, whether he starts or comes on as a substitute. But yeah, expecting a lot more from Jaden Sancho, but hopefully it's not Saturday. Yeah, Tom, I, I agree. I mean, Sancho, I mean, we have to remember, although he's been performing at a high level for quite a while now, he's still only 20 years old. And, and if you think about it, he might be going through some of the same things that Alfonso Davies was going through earlier this season before he was injured, and that maybe it's just been a little bit of too much too soon. A lot of focus on Sancho. I know that he's really, really important to that team. He's obviously super talented, 
And I know the expectations probably weigh on him a bit. And Tom, like you mentioned, I mean, he had all of those links to Manchester United over the summer. I'm sure his off-the-field focus was probably a bit frazzled. He might have been thinking about a potential return to England. But listen, I mean, he's a danger. He might not be at his best right now. But anytime he gets on the field, especially against Bayern Munich, he's going to have to be accounted for. And with the way Bayern plays a high line and the type of speed that both Sancho and Haaland both have, that could be a recipe for disaster. So it'll be really interesting to see how Hansi Flick matches up against that. What defenders he opts to use at center back. You know, he's got that rotation going with three or four people. And who exactly he uses on the outside because... As I mentioned, Holland and Sancho, they can be a lot of trouble. So it, it'll be fascinating to watch that play out. I think one of the things that to outsiders of the Bundesliga uh, that Borussia Dortmund doesn't get a lot of attention is how good their defense is. They have a very, very good defense. They have a good defense in terms of the stature of the players that are on the pitch. They have a good defense in terms of goals allowed all over the place. Uh, So allow me to kind of quickly remind you guys what this Dortmund squad has in terms of players that have consistent starting time. Uh, Rafael Guerrero, who often switches between a left mid and a left back, is a defensive rock for this team. They're doing very well with him there. The center backs are pretty much locked down by Mats Hummels and Manuel Akanji. They've done a very good job together. That is probably their next Hummels-Subatic pairing for a little while, which is funny because Hummels is one of the people there, but I say it's their next one because Hummels spent some time here at Bayern, of course. Uh, New acquisition Thomas Meunier has done very well for them as well. And in addition, they have a lot of good bench options rotating off, like Nico Schultz, uh, Lukas Piszczek, Marcel Schmelzer, and a youngster in 22-year-old Felix Paslak. So they've done very well for themselves so far there. Now, turning more towards their goal difference and goals they've allowed throughout the Champions League and throughout the Bundesliga, let's start off in the Champions League. They've only allowed three goals in the competition, scoring six uh, in the Bundesliga, they have only allowed two. So while Bayern has a larger goal difference of plus 15, Bayern has a goals for rating of 24 and a goals against rating of 9. Uh, Borussia Dortmund have a plus 11 goal difference. That's because they've only allowed two while scoring 13. Guys, how important is this defense going to be in this game? Outside of their fantastic offense, which gets almost all of the accolades, and they fully deserve them, but how important is it that this back four has a good game? Oh, Jake, I think it's it's immense. I, I, I think that the way this game is probably going to play out is that there's going to be a lot of back and forth and feeling each other out in the beginning, but eventually... The back lines of both teams are going to be severely tested. There is going to be so much offensive talent on the pitch. 
I mean, in some ways, I'm looking forward to it because it'll be a lot of fun, but it's also going to be nerve-wracking because I could see both Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich really, really struggling to contain each other offensively. So, yeah, I mean, Dortmund's back line is going to be tested. It'll be very interesting to see how Flick decides to match up there as well. I mean, he's got so many weapons in his arsenal and so many players that he can throw at Dortmund. He's going to really test Hummels. That's one thing that we know that we'll see. They're going to run some speed at Hummels and see how he adjusts to that. But, you know, I got to say, the way that Hummels has played this year, he's really been able to step up. And I know not every Dortmund fan is a huge fan right now, but his veteran guile makes up for some of the lack of foot speed that he has at this point. Yeah, just to echo off of what Chuck said, there's absolutely no denying the attacking quality that both uh, Bayern and Dortmund possess. I mean, you'd have to be blind to not see that. So this really will come down to, you know, the midfields and the defenses and how they're going to keep each other in check and, you know, how they're going to move and counter move. And still curious to see. I know Hummels is nursing that hamstring injury that he sustained towards the end of the uh, win in Bielefeld. Um, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to say that he'll be ready to go, especially now that Emre Chan is doubtful because of his positive coronavirus test. I'm not sure if he'll be involved. Um, you know, I'm really going to keep my eyes on Jake, as you mentioned, Rafael Guerrero on that left-hand side and new signing Tom Amunier, who I've been really impressed with, especially with the fact that how quickly he's been able to adjust uh, and adapt to life at, at Borussia Dortmund coming from uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Um, and if I recall correctly, both of those guys played rather well in the uh, the DFL Super Cup and caused Bayern a lot of problems because, you know, when you have those wingbacks, if you want to call them wingbacks or, um, you know, quote-unquote midfielders, whether it's officially recorded as a back three or a back four from Dortmund, you know, the more they go forward and, and the more they uh, make the pitch bigger, the more it's going to open up Bayern's midfield. Uh, and whether it's Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka or Tolisso, based on if Goretzka is ready to go or not, obviously he took a knock. Uh, in training earlier today, the day that we're recording on Thursday, um, I would assume he's still ready to go. So I think that's where the battle is going to be be won and lost, down those channels on, on either side. And obviously we're not going to have the speed of Alfonso Davies as he's out for a while. I would assume it's probably going to be Lucas Hernandez on that left side. So him and Munia is going to be an absolutely fantastic battle from a neutral's perspective. And hopefully as a Bayern fan, I hope that Hernandez comes off the better. But Definitely going to be something to keep an eye on, and you know it's definitely going to be a, a real scrap and a real battle. Moving from the Dortmund defense to their counterparts in Bayern, anyone that watched the Munich-Salzburg game knows that the 6-2 scoreline was not a fair assessment of how that match went. For a majority of that match, it was incredibly close. And if you look at the scoreline, it reflects that, right? Lewandowski scoring in the 21st minute, right after Mergim Berisha scored in the 4th to open it up for Salzburg. Bayern went up 2-1 just before the half off of an own goal from a shot from Thomas Müller that went in off of Rasmus Christiansen. Masaya Okugawa scored one minute coming off the bench for Salzburg to draw it 2-2. And then you look at the remaining four goals and the time period they came in. Boa in the 79th, Sané in the 83rd, Louis in the 88th, Luca Hernandez in the 90th plus two. All of those came 
in very quick succession. It was not an accurate representation of how things went. Both of those Salzburg goals can very easily be attributed to slow and that sometimes incompetent play along the Bayern back line. It has been their weakest part of their entire season so far. I think any Bayern Munich fan would be able to tell you that. And even to attribute that and put this into perspective. uh, Sorry, I'm going to re-say that. To put this into perspective, if we are going by goals against in the Bundesliga, Bayern is 10th in goals against. Teams that have a better goals against rating include Werder Bremen, VfB Stuttgart, Augsburg, and Union Berlin. All of them have better goal differences, or not goal differences, they have better goals against than Bayern Munich does. It's not like the back line is made up of players that are bad. I don't think that anyone on this Bayern back line is bad, but for some reason they just can't get it together. Guys, I mean, I know I've asked you this question for a couple of weeks in a row, but now that we've had more and more time to think about it, is there a player on this back line that jumps out as a problem to you? And if so, how do you solve that? Jake, right now, I don't know that it's necessarily one player as much as it is Hansi Flick's rotation and the inability of those different combinations to really get used to playing with one another. I mean, if I had to pick one player that I think is probably not lived up to his standard, it's probably David Alaba. I mean, I'm a big fan, and I obviously we all know the type of stress he's going through off the field with his contract negotiations. And yes, he hasn't been at his best so far this season. But even with him not quite being up to where he usually is, I really just think it's a matter of these guys getting together and playing more together. It's really tough to develop that partnership when you're constantly rotating players in and out. But honestly, that's just the way the world is right now for Hansi Flick. He has to do whatever he can to keep his boys healthy. And with this compact schedule, he needs to heavily rotate. And yeah, that's going to cause some communication issues. It's going to cause some spacing issues and absolutely some positional issues, which I think have really plagued Alaba this year. So, uh, Jake, I'm with you that there are some issues, but I just don't know if it's one player. I think it's just the way that Flick has had to rotate. Yeah, it's just... I think you defend as a unit just as much as you attack as a unit uh, and you play as a cohesive unit. And and to me, just as Chuck had said, I don't really think it's any one person in the back line that's like serially underperforming this season. Uh, I do agree, Alaba. It, it's, it's hard to put my finger on. Uh, I've made the observation in recent matches where it seems to me, um, just with his movements, he seems to be a little bit too forward thinking. It's kind of difficult to explain, so I'll kind of try to. There's been a lot of instances where I notice uh, when we're passing the ball in our own third, uh, you know, kind of in between our, our back line and, and the midway line, 
when our wingbacks or our midfielders kind of come back to almost a lateral position to Alibi, notice a lot of times he passes the ball off to either side, and then he'll go forward uh, looking for the ball back, completely breaking that back line and, and kind of stepping as if he's a, a midfielder. And to me, it, it, that just kind of, I guess, alludes to him being forward thinking. But what happens is he then leaves space completely open in behind him. So if the correct pass isn't made or the timing isn't right, then a counterattack is immediately started for the other team in a really, really dangerous position. I don't know if you guys have noticed it too. I don't know if I'm explaining that right. Um, but it's just something I've noticed in, in recent games. And obviously we all know uh, what's going on with him off the pitch. Uh, no agreement is going to be in place. That is completely off the table. It's clear he wants to leave uh, through him and his representatives and, and Pini Zahavi. But you know that's neither here nor there when it comes to the actual football on the pitch. And as Chuck mentioned, the rotations, I mean, like I said, I don't think it's any one person um, playing poorly. I just think it's if you're not used to uh, playing with an exact set of players week in and week out, yes, they train together and they prepare based on the starting lineups for every given match, but you know those movements, those small, the little uh, minute details that you're used to with the players around you, you know, they change in the game. You know, the ball moves one way and, you know, everybody reacts differently. So it's just a difficult thing to get used to. And I just think we're seeing that process based on the nature of the season because of the coronavirus and how truncated everything is. And it's impossible uh, to do without it. You know, it's that's just sports science. I mean, these guys are, are humans. Uh, they're not invincible. So uh, that's just something that we have to be cognizant of. And I, I think we might see a relatively continuing theme. Yeah, one thing I think that it was interesting that kind of came out last week that, you know, I've been watching Nicholas Sula just out of curiosity to, curiosity to see how he's recovered from his ACL injury. And to my eyes, he's done really well in working himself back in the shape. It looks like he's done a good job on the pitch. He's positionally done really well. But last week, Hansi Flick made an interesting statement that Sula was not quite back to being 100%. So obviously what we may see watching the game as fans or even analysts, it's not quite measuring up for Flick. And I don't know if he was doing that to kind of light a fire under Sula or if there was legitimately some parts to Sula's game that he thinks still need some fine tuning. So that's also something to keep an eye on. I mean, like I said, to me, Sula has done a great job of battling back from that and reestablishing himself. But maybe there are some finer points to his game that Flick is unhappy with. So we're going to wrap this up with this. Boys, what are your predictions for lineups? What are your predictions for scoreline? My predicted lineup, I'll just start off. I'm going to go with this. They've been running a 4-2-3-1. I project that they're probably going to do the same thing. Uh, I'm going to say... Uh, they bent funny enough. Their their starting back four against Bruges was Guerrero, Kanji, Axel Witzel, and Thomas Munier. I find that funny that they decided to rest Hummels for this match. So I think that they're gonna bring him back in to the fold. I'm gonna have Guerrero, Akanji, um Hummels and Munier on that back line with Berkey in goal, of course. Uh, I'm going to start Witzel and Mahmoud Dahoud in the central defensive pivot positions. I'll start Royce, Brandt, and Reina. 
and then Holland. And I only start Reyna at right wing because he's been on fire from there. I imagine if I was Lucien Favre, I would do the crazy thing and bring Sancho on in like the 55th minute and then just blister pace up and down the wings for uh, for them. I think this is going to be a close match. And I don't think anyone's going to win. My prediction is a 2-2 draw. I think that Bayern's back line is too inconsistent. I think that Dortmund's back line is clinical, but not enough that they would be able to stop Lewandowski or anyone from Bayern's attack. Uh, and speaking of Bayern's attack, I guess I'll just quickly rattle off Bayern. Uh, the back four will be Luka... Alaba, Boateng, and Pavard. Double pivot of Kimmich and Goretzka. I'll have Gnabry and Sané on the wings because Coman didn't really look that consistent in the game against Salzburg. Müller in the center attack, and then Lewandowski up top. So those are my predicted lineups. I still th- I think 2-2 is a good prediction of this, I think that they are, um, I think both teams have their own struggles. I think that not having Jaden Sancho as consistent of a scorer is going to hurt Dortmund for now until he gets that back into gear, which is not to say that Gio Reyna isn't good enough right now, because he's absolutely good enough right now, but he's not producing, um, as consistent of a scoring output around this time, that Jaden Sancho was last year. And by this time, I don't mean like this time in the calendar. I mean this time in games. Last year, Sancho started off at a really quick blistering pace, and I have not seen that from Gio Reyna in his one goal and three assists. I think he'll get there. I just think that for now that you like they would need somebody on that right wing that's more consistently scoring, and I don't know if they have that yet. So 2-2 is my prediction. Uh, Tom, let's get yours in here. Uh, first off, going with the prediction, I um, I know I said this earlier in the pod, uh, in this episode, I think Favre is going to err on the side of caution and be uh, a little bit protective uh, because if there's one thing I can recall from a lot of matches uh, between Bayern and Dortmund uh, throughout the past couple of seasons is that, you know, Dortmund have this tendency to implode when they they concede goals against us early on. And I think that's exactly the last thing that Favre would want to happen. Um, He does have some defensive injuries. Zagadou is still out. Marcel Schmelzer is still out with his knee injury. Chan, I'm assuming, is still not going to be active for this game because of the COVID uh, situation that he had. I think it's still just under two weeks uh, since he tested positive. Um, I'm going to go just like you, Jake, uh, four, two, three, one, just a slightly different personnel. I do think it's going to be from left to right ahead of Berkey. It's going to be uh, Guerrero, uh, Akanji, Hummels, assuming he's ready to go with that hamstring, Tama Mounier. Uh, and then the two, I think this is where I differ from you. I think I think he's going to stick with Jude Bellingham. I have been really impressed with him. I think, like I said, he always wants to get on the ball and he's looking to distribute. And I'll think he'll give uh, Witzel next to him more of a holding role to tuck into those spaces when both Mounier uh, and Guerrera bomb forward. And then uh, the front three, I would actually... I know I do like your your theory about bringing Sancho on. However, I th- do think he's going to start him and perhaps bring uh, Brandt 
on at some point. So I think the front three is going to be Sancho, uh, or excuse me, the front three plus Holland at the front is going to be uh, Sancho, Marco Royce, uh, Gio Reyna. So Berkey, Munier, Akanje, Hummels, Guerrero, Bellingham, Witzel, Sancho, Royce, Reyna, and Erling Holland with those options on the bench uh, like Julian Brandt. Um, and yeah, I just think Favre will want to keep the game close as long as possible. I know we remember in recent years how many 4-0s, 5-0s, 6-0s there's been. Um, you know, if you don't take into consideration the DFL Super Cup, the 3-2, um, then that's what we're looking at. And I just, I think from a tactical standpoint, that's what's going to be going through his brain. He won't want to go all out attack. Um, and I'm pretty sure the only difference... I'm not sure if uh, Sané will start. I can very easily just see it being the same starting 11. Neuer, Pavard, Boateng, Alaba, Hernandez, Kimmich, Goretzka, assuming he's good to go. Uh, Gnabry, Muller, Coman, and Lewandowski. Because um, we're assuming Nicolas Zula will not be involved because of his coronavirus test, which we now know was a false positive. But I don't think he's trained with the squad enough uh, ahead of this one, so he probably will be out. Um, yeah, so... Only difference from you, Jake, I think Coleman ahead of Sané and Sané coming off the bench. So uh, I wonder, <laughs> I know that we've both gone first. Let's see if Chuck has any uh, differing opinions on those lineups. No, my Tom, my lineup is pretty much exactly what you named for uh, Borussia Dortmund with Berkey at the back, um, along with Guerrero, Akanji, Hummels, Mounier, Witzel, and Bellingham working in the midfield. With the front four in the alignment of Holland at striker, Royce sitting behind him, and Sancho and and Gio Reyna out wide, so I think we're we're all pretty aligned with how that will look. And I would expect to see Julian Brandt and Torgan Hazard at some point during the game. As for Bayern, obviously Louis up top, uh, Sane, Muller, Gnabry, Kimmich, Goretzka, with the back line of. Luca Hernandez, David Alaba, Jerome Boateng, and Benjamin Pavard playing in front of Manuel Neuer. The one interesting thing will be to see how Flick handles Pavard. It does not appear to me that he's been overly pleased with Pavard's play. And by all accounts, Pavard had a miserable game midweek against Salzburg. So it'll be interesting to see if he sticks with Pavard. It would really be a big blow to his confidence if he does not start this game. But Flick has been heavily rotating, and this might be an opportunity to really send a message to Pavard if Flick truly isn't happy with him. As far as prediction goes, I'm going to go 3-1, which is kind of the joke as my standard prediction for Bayern games. But I actually feel like that's the way it's going to play out. I think we're going to be at a 1-1 game, and then Bayern's just going to wear Borussia Dortmund down as the game goes on, and we'll get two more goals. And Bayern will be happy, Hansi Flick will be happy, and Borussia Dortmund and its fans will not be happy. Chuck, who gets the goal for Dortmund? Oh, it will be Holland, just because... Manuel Neuer has already kind of made a joke about how Holland has has the ability to to score anyway, and he usually is, um, <clears throat> I guess, key with his left foot. Uh, there is a story going around that I have to check back at Bundesliga.com and look at, but Neuer has already kind of addressed the threat that is Erling Holland, so it'll be interesting to see how that matchup goes. But I would expect him to break through against Bayern. Is the post match interview going to be just as awkward? With Erling uh, Haaland. I, I hope so. That was hilarious. And for those listeners 
that have not seen the post-match interview with Holland after the Club Bruges match, make it a, a point to find that on Twitter because it was a, a classic. Holland is sort of gaining a reputation as as a uh, clown after post during the post-match interviews, but this time I think the reporter kind of one-upped Holland and, and caught him off guard. Yeah, I would love to see what any other player or any average person would say after after being asked that question. <laughs> Because there's only yeah, one Holland. If Jamie, it's funny because how if Jamie Carragher thinks that you're weird, there's <laughs> a problem, and that that's not directed at Holland. That's directed at the reporter. Like find Carragher's reaction after this. It's funny with Holland. He just loses his. Probably appreciate this. He's almost kind of had a Belichickian. Uh, approach to those post-match uh, press conferences or interviews where he kind of gives you the bare minimum, but he's doing it in such a wry way that you know he's got a hell of a lot more to say, but he's just not going to grant you the pleasure of hearing it. And even with this, I think that he was caught off guard and didn't even know how to react to it. And he always does it with a smile. I think that, I think that if, you had a person that was Bill Belichick with more boyish humor, that that would be Erling Holland in post-match interviews. Like that is that is probably the the thing that defines that the most. But anyway, uh, this was probably one of the longer episodes of Dare Ausblick that we've ever made. So we're gonna wrap it up here. Thank you for listening. Like, rate, share, subscribe on anywhere you get your quality audio content. Follow us on Twitter. And until next time, we will see you guys later. Auf Wiedersehen.